evening. Good to see you all here tonight. Thanks for coming back for our evening service. Appreciate your attendance. As they are distributing tonight's handout, let me uh, remind you of what we did last week. And if you weren't here last week, uh, there are, uh, there's the opportunity to uh, listen to the evening uh, service on the uh, website. Uh, but uh, we took a step back and took more of a panoramic shot of uh, the account of Joseph's life. We've been focusing on Joseph and his uh, brothers. But uh, last week we, we uh, zoomed out and saw a bigger picture of what God was doing in redemptive history. And we highlighted a few thoughts. First, that this account is to explain how the children of Israel came to live in the land of Egypt. Why it was they left the promised land in order to go and live in the land of Egypt and we pointed out that that was a fulfillment of a prophecy that God gave to Abraham that his descendants would be in the land of Egypt for 430 years and be slaves and then would be brought out with a mighty hand. So here is an explanation as to how and why the Israelites came to dwell in the land of Egypt. Secondly, we said that it gives us a, an understanding of why the Israelites came to be hated by the Egyptians. Now, there are other reasons that we're going to look at uh, in uh, the weeks ahead. But last week, we just emphasized the fact that the Egyptians lost their land as a result of the famine. And we mentioned the fact that they could have prepared for that famine, but they didn't. Joseph put a tax upon the Egyptians, and from the tax, he was able to feed not all, only all of Egypt, but all the surrounding nations as well. They could have easily put that crop aside as well, but they did not. And so the bottom line was they lost their land, and Joseph's brothers come, and Pharaoh just gives his brothers the best part of the land of Egypt in which to dwell. And they're actually put in authority over the Egyptians who have become uh, indentured servants to Pharaoh. So there's a lot of animosity that is going on. And that's going to ultimately lead up to the slavery that the Israelites are going to find themselves in uh, a little later on. The third panoramic view was the fact that all the surrounding nations were experiencing the famine at the same time that the land of Egypt was. And so all the nations are coming to uh, Egypt to buy food, not just the Egyptians and not just the brothers of Joseph, but all the surrounding nations are traveling to Egypt. And I said that that was a precursor to the judgment that is ultimately going to come upon these nations because they were able to hear of God, to experience his grace and his goodness in providing them food, but they didn't come to worship and serve him. And this is going to be... Uh, Later, uh, a form of judgment that God is going to bring against them. So there are a lot of things going on in the background. A uh, bigger purpose to all of this than just Joseph and his brothers. But today we zoom in again and are going to look at just the account of the first time that Joseph's brothers come 
uh, to buy food from Joseph. So if you turn with me to your handouts, and uh, the last page on both sides is the artwork of uh, Pastor Dave, and uh, he has put these things in art form. If you'd rather follow along in that fashion, you're welcome to do so. I've entitled this as a theme, Be Sure Your Sins Will Find You Out. The occasion for Joseph's uh, reuniting with his brothers. The brothers are in distress because of the famine. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? Uh, Why aren't you doing something about this? We have no grain. We have nothing to eat. But there is food in Egypt. The ten brothers of Joseph come to Egypt to buy grain due to the famine. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. Benjamin does not go with his brothers, for Jacob is afraid that something might happen to him. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers. For he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. Remember that Benjamin is the youngest. And he is the full brother to uh, Joseph. The rest are half-brothers. And Benjamin holds a very special place in Jacob's heart. So he does not allow Benjamin to travel to Egypt. Joseph is the individual from whom the brothers have to buy grain. Now, Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who said to all the people of the land, sold to all the people of the land, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him and their faces to the ground. Joseph's brothers came to Egypt in fulfillment of God's sovereign will. For notice it says at the end of verse 6, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Joseph had spoken earlier, back in Genesis chapter 37, verse 6, before he was sold into slavery, while he was still at home, he said to them, please listen to the dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and to my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bound down to my stead. And then Joseph interpreted that dream for them, telling them that they were going to do obeisance to him, that they were going to bow down to him. Well, they became outraged when they heard of that dream and that interpretation. But here, that dream is coming to fulfillment. It's coming to pass. Joseph recognized his brothers, and they didn't recognize him. Genesis 42, 7 and 8. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And Joseph understood the spiritual implications of all that was taking place. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. So Joseph is putting it all together. He sees God's hand at work. His brothers don't. His brothers don't understand. 
that this is God's sovereign will. They don't understand that this is the fulfillment of the dream that Joseph had. But all of it's being worked out. But Joseph does know. He does understand. Secondly, the events associated with Joseph reuniting with his brothers. Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies. Now we're in a rather peculiar portion of the story. Because we're going to see that uh, Joseph is going to take a series of steps which, on the surface, might seem a bit peculiar. But uh, again, I believe this fulfills God's sovereign plan of will. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies. Joseph's 42, Genesis 42, verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to look at and understand parts of our land. Now, Joseph realized that that wasn't the case. He knew that these were his brothers. He knew they came down to buy food. He knew that they didn't come to spy out the land. So why does he say such a thing? I believe that this allows his brothers to understand the frustration of being falsely accused. What is going to happen here is that through these series of events, uh, Joseph is laying the groundwork for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He is uh, being used of God to bring the brothers to an ultimate and final place of repentance. But it's going to be a long and slow road. And it begins by them having a sense of what it's like to be falsely accused. But Joseph is not doing this in a vindictive way. That's important to understand. He's not just trying to get even with his brothers. But rather, he is purposefully trying to bring his brothers to an understanding of that dream that he had. And they they would understand it in the fullest and mature way. Not just that the events took place, but the significance of those events. So, the brothers proclaimed their innocence. Then they said to him, No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the under-defended parts of our land. The brothers are forced to acknowledge Joseph. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. That's Joseph. Because Joseph is plying them with questions, asking very direct questions about their family. And so they acknowledge that they are one of twelve brothers, and one of the twelve they believe is dead. But actually, of course, it's Joseph and they're standing before him. And Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. The brothers are in prison for a short period of time to know what it means to be in prison falsely. Genesis 42, 16 and 17. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you, but if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. That's a rather short period of time. 
but it was to give them a, a taste of what it would be like to be imprisoned falsely. They had done nothing wrong in this instance. They had done a lot wrong in the past, but in the present time, they had not done anything wrong. They certainly weren't spies. And yet, here they are cast into prison. However, only one brother, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, E, Joseph professes to show them kindness out of his reverence for God. Now, Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. This is used by God to bring conviction into the lives of the brothers. So he says, because I fear God, I'm going to let you go. Because I'm a worshiper of the true and living God. I'm going to let you out of prison. This is the right thing to do, Joseph is saying. I'm acting in a godly way. So I'm going to let you out. Only one brother will have to remain in prison. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go carry grain for the famine of, of your households. The brothers take the grain back to their father, Jacob, but do not immediately return in order to set their imprisoned brother free. And bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. That's an aside. Uh, and realize that there's a lot of time that's going on between Genesis 42:20, the command and the fulfillment of it. When it says, and they did so, not immediately. Eventually he gets back. But a whole lot transpires before that. H. Here we learn of the guilt that the brothers labored under all these years. We not only hear of it, but so does Joseph. Then they said one to another, Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, and yet we would not listen. Therefore, his distress has come upon us. See, the key there is his distress. They had heard of his distress. He was pleading with them when they cast him into that pit to be honorable, to let him go, that he'd done nothing wrong. And they turned a deaf ear. And now they're in distress. And here is this Egyptian who says, I fear God. And because I fear God, I'm going to let you out of prison because I'm going to be sensitive to your distress. And they look at that. And they recognize their guilt. They realize how harshly and how unjustly and how unfairly they had treated their brother. And now they are recognizing that's not how they are being treated. 42.22 And Reuben answered them saying, Did not I tell you? Do not sin against the boy. And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Now comes the do comeuppance. Now comes the payback for what we have done by God. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. So they didn't know that Joseph could understand their language. They didn't know they were talking in front of Joseph, but Joseph hears everything that's going on. And then it was Simeon, the second oldest, that was bound, presumably because Joseph did not want to imprison Reuben, had spoken up for Joseph. 
You would think that the oldest brother would have been bound and kept, but Reuben was the one who interceded for Joseph. So he passes over Reuben and takes Simeon and makes Simeon a prisoner and says, the rest of you can go. Three, the events associated with Joseph's brother's departure from Egypt. Joseph secretly restores the money to his brothers. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey, and thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. So one of the brothers, in feeding their donkey, opens the sack, and lo and behold, there's the money. They consider their misfortune to be God's judgment. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank and turned troubling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? What is this that God has done? They looked at this as God's judgment. But please note that they don't understand this as God's blessing. They don't stop and praise God and say, look, we've got, all, we've got the money back. Isn't God good? No. They look at this and they say, isn't God just? Look what God is doing. All this is coming upon us because of what we did to Joseph. And it was true. But not in a vindictive sense. In a desire to lead them to repentance. But the main point of tonight is though under conviction they don't repent. There is a world of difference between conviction and true repentance. They don't ask God for forgiveness. They don't confess their sin. They don't seek God's uh, approval now on what they are going to They are laboring under this guilt. But they're going to continue to labor under it. They are going to continue to masquerade the lie, the falsehood. They are convicted, but not repentant. And don't confuse the two. Next. They do not return the money, but continue their journey home. Verse 29, when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. So, get the picture. They're, they're traveling. They stop to feed the donkeys. They open one of the sacks in order to do that. And here in the sack is this grain and their money. And they say, whoa, what was us? Look at what God has done to us. But having this money, they don't do a U-turn and head back to the Egyptian who sold them the food and says, we don't know how this happened, but this money is back in our sack. No, they take the money and run. Now remember, Simeon is back in prison. Simeon's being held. And they have no regard 
for what their actions may have upon Simeon. They're going to leave with this money, with Simeon, presumably under lock and key. Actually, Joseph has let him out already. But presumably under lock and key, and they're not concerned. Let's move on. They give a full account to Jacob of all that had taken place in Egypt. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. They explain why Benjamin must return with them. But bring your youngest brother to me that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Then the brothers realized that all of them have had their money returned. Now it came about as they were emptying their sacks that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they saw And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. So Jacob recognizes the seriousness of the situation. Their father, Jacob, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Now notice these words. Simeon is no more. Jacob assumes That Simeon's been killed. Jacob assumes because they had returned with this money that Simeon's life was taken. That the leader in Egypt would have considered them to be spies, would have been justified in their actions because the money has been stolen, and Simeon is dead. Jehovah is no more. Simeon is no more. And you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Now, they come clean about the events. But they don't come clean about how they interpret the events. In other words, they don't share with their father why they think this money has been returned. They say nothing about God's judgment. They say nothing about Joseph's life and how he really came to, in their estimation, be killed. They don't tell the truth. They conveniently leave some things out. Reuben then makes a ridiculous promise. Genesis 42-37. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. So Joseph wants to take Benjamin. Because, uh, excuse me. Reuben wants to take Benjamin because he knows they don't have a chance without Benjamin. 
But Jacob doesn't want Benjamin to go. But they're going to be out of food again. And so they've got to take Benjamin back. They're going to stall. This has been told Jacob up front. But Jacob doesn't want Benjamin to go. So they're going to dilly-dally uh, in the promised land until all their food, food runs out. Until they have no option left but to go. And then Reuben's not willing to go without Benjamin. That's their ticket. They need Benjamin. But he makes this ridiculous promise. Ridiculous for two reasons. First, it's ridiculous because Reuben has no control over the situation. You can kill my sons if we don't bring them back. What in the world is Reuben going to be able to do about this? It is out of his control. It is out of his hands. There is no way that he can guarantee the safe return of Benjamin. He's in a foreign land under the authority of a foreign leader who can take his life at will. But here again is arrogance. Here again is pride and here again is sinfulness. He's not willing to acknowledge his limitations. It's beyond him. He should have understood that by now, but he doesn't. And secondly, it's ridiculous to think that Jacob is going to be comforted in the death of his child by the deaths of two of his grandchildren. Think of the proposed solution. If Benjamin dies, you can kill my two sons. How's that going to bring any happiness? How's that going to bring any joy? How's that going to be any way a positive solution? Think about that. But it goes to show, it goes to show the hardness even of Reuben's heart. Because Reuben had said to his brothers, didn't I tell you to let Joseph live? Didn't I tell you when he was crying out? When he was in distress, didn't I say to you, let him go? But now we find out that really there's no difference between Reuben and his brothers. Because he didn't really let Joseph go. And now he really isn't concerned about Jacob, his father's well-being, his happiness. They deceived him. They killed one of his sons. They're not remorseful to Jacob for that. They don't come clean. They don't confess that. And then Reuben offers his two sons in payment for Benjamin's life if Benjamin doesn't return. To think that somehow that would please his father. To think that somehow that would bring comfort to his, far, to his father if Benjamin died. What a strange view of his father's love, of his father's concern, of what justice is all about. The brothers have a long way to go. And we're going to see that God takes them on a journey, a long journey, that is going to lead them to true and complete repentance. But it hasn't happened yet. There's conviction. But not understanding. There is conviction. 
but not repentance. There's conviction, but not a relying upon God. There are no prayers in this passage of A, asking God to forgive them, or B, asking God to protect them. It isn't, let us cry unto God, and maybe God in His grace will give us favor in the eyes of this Egyptian and cause him to overlook the fact that we have this money and maybe God will deliver Benjamin back to you. There is no such humble recognition of the need to pray to God and ask for his help. Rather, in arrogance, Reuben simply says, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I'll bring him back. He'll be safe. Well, fast forward. Benjamin is safe. Benjamin is guarded. Benjamin it will be protected. And Benjamin will be reunited with his father Jacob. But no thanks to Reuben. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God. And it's the instrumentality of God's servant, Joseph, who extends that forgiveness to his brothers. Conviction, but not godly sorrow. Conviction, but not repentance. Conviction, but not a humbling of themselves before God. Conviction, but prayerlessness. My thought to you tonight is, Maybe there is something in your life that you have harbored for years. A regret. Maybe that no one knows anything of, but you know deep down in your heart. And when things go wrong, there's a tendency to look at that and say, well, maybe God's judging me because of this. I simply say to you, if you are struggling under for conviction for something that you have done in the past, don't just wallow in that conviction. But seek God's forgiveness. Put it behind you. Acknowledge your wrongdoing before God and say, God, forgive me for what I have done. Whether it be in ignorance, whether it be in rebellion, whatever the case, God, forgive me. I've been under this load for 10, 12, 15, 20 years. You desperately need to be freed from it. Repent. Seek God's forgiveness. Pray. Let God do a work in your heart. So the conclusion. God's sovereign will is coming to pass. That sovereign will is being worked out extremely slowly. Joseph is incredibly patient and waiting upon the Lord. And Joseph is incredibly wise in dealing with his unscrupulous brothers. Conviction for wrongdoing is often a process involving a number of events. Conviction of sin and wrongdoing must not be confused with repentance and the seeking of forgiveness. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of repenting when we are under conviction. Lord, if there is something in our lives 
that we have hid from others and have been practically trying to hide from you. But Lord, we know we can't. All things are open unto you. And the brothers were very much aware of that. They said, this is God's judgment. They believed that, that God was paying them back for the things that, that they had done. When in actuality, God was leading them to a place of repentance so that he would show kindness towards them, that he'd provide for them, that, they would, that he would keep them, that their lives would be preserved, and the lives of Reuben's sons that he recklessly put in places of great danger. Lord, help us to see, help us to see that conviction is our friend, that your grace. Thank you for minds that have good consciences. Thank you for the guilt that we come under. And I pray, O oh God, that in those times of guilt, we would cry out unto you and ask for your mercy and your grace. Trust in the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. Not try to make deals with you or to take matters in our own hands. But Lord, cause us to be a people who pray and trust in you and you alone. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.